2: Hola socios, hola equipo, my name is Neil I'm Liam This is John Norberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland Edinburgh Barcelona And I'm a socio I'm a socio I'm a socio of the big
3: interview Hi there, I'm Liam from Edinburgh and I'm a socio Because not only do you get to hear the world's top players speaking about their time on and off the park You also get to hear Graham try and slip in a reference about Aberdeen in every show Keep up the good word guys, enjoy the World Cup Funny enough, most people I talk to always talk about Messi. I dragged them to Iniesta.
1: It was Iniesta who was the one who I thought, my goodness, this guy's something else. Uh, he helped me to, to understand the game better. Just watching him what uh, he does in a, in the football pitch.
4: You know, we make these podcasts um, not simply for enjoyment, but to try and bring some of the excitement and the magic of particularly Spanish football, but um, 17 or 18 years spent living at a time when Spanish club and international football has never been more interesting, more powerful. We also make this because I find it enjoyable to try to express my admiration or my enjoyment, or in this instance, my good fortune, because I realise that I've spent the greater part of my working life parallel with Andres Iniesta, his arrival, his pomp, and his elegant and intelligent decision about how to leave and when to leave the club that he loves. During that time, I haven't simply been a witness and somebody whose gift for being able to describe things has helped him transmit things about Iniesta. Watching him has taught me a great deal. First of all, teaching me about the gaps in my football education. Secondly, bringing me to a different appreciation of Um, things that quite honestly look simple on the pitch and and the word simplicity about Iniesta will be used time and time again in these weeks as he first says goodbye to Busson and secondly says goodbye to La Roja, hopefully while winning the World Cup in Russia, but who the hell knows. The truth is that to do things as simply as Iniesta does, to make this random, multi-million option game of football seem basic and sensible and intelligent, to do that is really difficult. And therefore, watching him and learning around him has been fun, but also sometimes complicated. I've seen a human being suffering. We'll talk about the fact that it isn't simply about his talent. However great the player is you're talking to, they say, there were dozens better than me. And therefore, watching Iniesta genuinely suffer physically, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, has sometimes been a little bit difficult. I'm not trying to masquerade that I'm his booze and buddy. But when you like somebody and when they respectfully and regularly grant you access to their world and make your journalistic and your your football appreciating life better, when they suffer, you do suffer a little bit. So that's what this is going to be, my journalistic life, tracking, investigating, understanding and appreciating, The football life of Andres Iniesta. If you go to Loaded, Screamadelica, Primal Scream, a guide for life, you might be asked the question, just what is it you want to do? Well, Iniesta, I guess, probably... Initially, he wanted to play for Abathetti, his hometown team, the place where his granddad would drive him to when he was allowed time off school as a tiny kid, probably a primary school kid, given little chunks of time off each day so that the hour drive to Abathetti and then back could allow him to train in their academy while the rest of his kids were having that Spanish traditional three hour lunchtime. But then, if you added a layer of just what is it you want to do on top of that, <clears throat> Calais, you know this. The answer probably would have been play for Real Madrid. He doesn't talk about it a great deal, but when he was a kid, Iniesta had an affection for Real Madrid. You can understand why because his hero Michael Laudrup played not only for Barcelona, who put, I think seven past Albacete and distinctly put Iniesta's nose at a joint, but he moved to Madrid, played brilliantly, scored in a 5-0 defeat of Football Club Barcelona. And therefore, this Andres Iniesta, we pick up at a moment in his development where it's clear that he's the best player in Fuentabilla because it's a tiny little town. It's clear that he's the best player in Alba because he's brilliant. But if life doesn't take a really strange twist of what we call a thar in Spanish, um, fluke, luck, kismet, then he wouldn't be playing for Barcelona. He wouldn't have spent his life at the camp now interacting with, well, you know, Xavi, Busquets, Messi. Let's move back. Two teams in a little seven-a-side tournament just outside Madrid, when Andres Iniesta was 12 in 1996, couldn't play. In this, it was a breeding ground for talent set up by a radio presenter. As I say, just outside Madrid. Every year... Scouts from all over Spain and all over Europe flocked there. And the list of world-class professional footballers who found their first break there is very long indeed. Iniesta and Albacete weren't due to be there. Two teams dropped out because because they were financially strapped. They couldn't get there. Albacete, in a sort of Denmark 1992, said, We're free. We can go. And they did. At the tournament, Iniesta was the best player. There was another kid now, Jorge Troitero. Unless you've read my book about Spain, you've never heard of him. Gifted, impish, uh, will-of-the-wisp, could dance past players, was something like a number 10, dribble, shot, inventive, a little bit arrogant. He had just about everything. He was the player that football club Barcelona won. They liked Iniesta, but Iniesta and Troitera were dramatically too young for their academy. The academy in those days, back in the middle 90s, was not set up to have anybody younger than 14. In fact, the idea was ludicrous. They were a little while away from realising that they need to open their borders and think about even more minute 13-year-olds from Rosario in Argentina so, in other words, the Messi phenomenon, as a kid, hadn't started. There were no pathfinders. There, were nobody, there was nobody to break the ice for Iniesta and say, yeah, little 12-year-old pale kids are fine. He was the first. But he was only the first because Football Club Barcelona heard in Jorge Troitero's father's words a warning. Sign us now, break your rules, or we'll go to... atletico let's go Madrid, or Real Madrid. They so wanted Troitero that they thought, who can we chum him up with? Who can be a partner for this cocky young kid who's 12? What about the pale young kid who starred that we had on the stocks for two years hence? Iniesta? Yeah, him. Take them both together, make them partners, put them in the dorms. Now think about this, folks. When you talk about La Masia, if you've visited the camp now and seen it, that beautiful, warm-looking several-hundred-year-old stone-built farmhouse. It looks like a lovely place, doesn't it? But if you're pitching up there, several hundred kilometres away from where you live, out of the blue, not prepared mentally, with your grandparents and parents crying buckets, a tsunami of tears, the whole long, slow car journey north from Albacete, would you have liked it? Could you have coped? At 12, you're not prepared. You're not mature. You'll be lonely. You have no trace of the greatness which will later emerge. The fact that Oriol Tort took Iniesta under his wing helped. Victor Valdez, a keeper, made the first big save of his career. I'll look after you, wee man. I'll be your chum. I'll talk to you. Stepping back from the minute by minute of this moment, I think what you need to consider when you're looking back at the time when Andres Iniesta moves into the the farmhouse next to the Camp now, as Pep Guardiola had done years earlier and looked out and thought, there's the Camp now, the place I always wanted to be. Guardiola was older, it was about an hour back to his house. Think about this. Iniesta's got his family with him there the first day. They're all hurt, they're all crying. He goes off to school, the Barca school, and they say, we'll see you when you get home. Then they're not there. A couple of weeks ago, before recording this, I sat in Iniesta's press conference where he regularly choked up, even cried, looking out at his wife, his sister, his parents, in the front row of the audience, in the press room of the Barcelona training ground. And he choked, as he talked about That first week, he choked when he talked back about the greatest of times in La Masia, how happy he'd been, but not initially. His first lump in his throat where he couldn't speak for a little while was when he was trying to say, I remember that first day when my parents told me, we'll be there to pick you up at the end, and they decided to go home. How tough is that? Think about how tough that would be for you, for your parents. But it made him, and he chose to stay. I want to link that. When we talk about the greatness of Xavi, or Pique, or Busquets, or Messi, or Iniesta, there was a time, subsequently, when living in a flat with his father, Leo Messi was asked by Jorge Messi, shall we go home, son? The club aren't treating us well. Your mum's gone home. Your sister was homesick. She's not coming back. Your brothers are here intermittently. Shall we chuck it? And little Leo Messi, about 13 and a half, said to his dad, no, we're here for a reason. I'm not giving up. I'm staying. So Before we talk about their trophies or their goals or their majesty or the way that they've reinvented football for us or the love affair that you, listening now, have with them, think about their toughness. Think about the right stuff because that's what they were made of. There's another thing to think about, I guess, too, which is that Right now, everybody is talking about how lucky Barca were to have Iniesta. It's true. He's loved. He's been a captain. He's a good man. He's a studier away from football. Carried on his economics degree. He represents just about everything that you would want from a guy with talent. No ego, no arrogance, no crazy agent asking for major deals. No headlines. Only the good ones. But what about Barca for Iniesta? He could have landed anywhere. He could have landed at a place where it wasn't a Cruyff school of thought. He could have landed with coaches, as Messi did, who said, too small, bollocks, I'm not having him. He'll get kicked about. I want somebody with ability, but I want somebody who's taller, quicker, stronger, more aggressive. The Barca system at that time was still very, very dominated by Cruyff thinking. He'd only just been kicked out, the maestro, my favourite football person ever. He was sacked in 1996. It was about four or five months later that Iniesta pitched up and that entire academy system still lived and breathed everything that Cruyff taught them. And therefore it was perfect for Iniesta... If you want details on that, think about this. He has the natural ability to do all the things with time and space and the ball and vision and a sort of Harry Potter-esque. If you've got a wand in your hand, you can drag people about or objects about. And he asked, I can do that with his boot, and they didn't teach him that. But they taught him the value of repetition. They taught him the value of precision. They taught him the value of team play. And they made him do it again and again and again. They did that because Cruyff set it up that way. The enjoyment, well, it came because they found companionship. He became a dominant footballer, even though his size was still, if not a joke, threatening. Until about, not quite three years later, famously, the Nike Cup comes along. It's a big, big trophy by Barca's sponsors. This time it's in Catalonia. There are tons of teams from all around the world. The final is reached. Barca are in it. Iniesta is the leader. By memory, they're playing South Americans. It's tough. Because it's Nike, Pep Guardiola's brother, Pera, who's a representative for Nike, is heavily involved and says to Guardiola, senior, will you come and present the trophy? He does. Guess who wins it? Player, of The final player of the tournament, Andres Iniesta. Scorer of the winning goal in the final, Iniesta. That was the precursor to the moment, which is now a cliche, a truism. I don't know. Guardiola turned it to Xavi and saying, you're retiring me, he'll retire both of us. So it's been true. Pep retired and a coach. Xavi <clears throat> retired from Barca, retired from Spain, still playing in Qatar, maybe still determined to prove... Guardiola wrong and outlast Iniesta as a footballer? Who knows? But the Barca longevity belonged to Iniesta. He talked about 21 years, a mix between the academy and the first team, and we'll come to the moments in the first team. I spoke to Jamie Easton, um, a colleague of mine here in Spain at BN. His point backed mine. He couldn't think of a better system for young Andres Iniesta to have learned the rules.
5: It's obviously Iniesta is unique, but it's not something unique from Iniesta, because if you watch every single game Busquets playing with Barcelona and you are at the Camp nou or any other st- single stadium, all the fans are like, glups, what is he doing right now? How can he have the confidence to do that <laughs> at that really moment? really well
4: expressed, yes. So
5: um, um, Iniesta is more or less the same, and I think it's something that they teach you when you have played so many years at a, at a club like Barcelona. They teach you that in every single youth category in La Masia, you don't have to be afraid of the ball. The ball, el, el balón quema, they say in Spain.
4: If the ball is at your feet, it burns your feet, it get rid of it quickly.
5: It. So don't allow the ball to burn in your feet you have to want the ball uh, y- you want to caress the ball the ball is your life inside a pitch so use it and use it and surprise everybody And nobody's expecting you to do that in your own penalty area nobody's expecting that so that's as well a weapon to surprise the rival obviously there's a huge risk doing that and you know that if you just miss that one uh, they won't laugh at you because you are a Niesta, but they will criticize you because you know very well that in Barcelona or in Madrid or in all the book clubs, if you do a mistake, you will be criticized Zero no cares. matter what's your name.
4: The chapter heading here would probably be a bastardization of, um, what do you get for the man who's got everything? Well, in this instance, for Barca, it became, what do we do with the man who's got everything? Van Hal is somebody that Iniesta still talks about. And I remember having moved to Barcelona, sitting in the front row of a press conference, a rather impromptu press conference, when this hard man who I'd first met turning up in Glasgow to play against Rangers, leading an Ajax side with Winston Bogard in a long black leather kind of Clint Eastwood coat. And in Glasgow Airport, if Winston Bogard had had a shotgun hidden down that, Leather lining, I wouldn't have been surprised. It was full of tough players. Ajax were led by a shouter, somebody reputed to be a bully, but a visionary, a thinker, Louis Van Hal. He was in his second spell at Barcelona, having been the man who took over from Bobby Robson really peremptorily, but also the man who, whether he had seeded the talent that won Ajax that brilliant European Cup victory of 1995. not, he was the one who promoted the youngsters, who coached them, who gave us a a beautiful blend of organisation, intelligence, skill and academy players. So who better to look at Iniesta to listen to the junior coaches and say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to trust you. Is Bruges away in the Champions League? Barcelona are admittedly already through. There are a whole host of reserve players included, first-team players arrested. Juan Roman Raquelme, who the Dutchman has already told, I don't like you, I don't want you, I'm going to get rid of you as soon as possible, is anchoring midfield. Victor Vasquez plays now in MLS, at the time competing with uh, Messi to be the emerging genius. Vasquez and Messi used to have goal-scoring competitions, Coaches then weren't quite sure which of them might make it the furthest. And Iniesta's picked. He's picked. He plays. They win. It's the first time he's had a really long journey with the first team and he starts. Again, going back to about two weeks now when that press conference took place and he confirmed he was leaving. When somebody asked him, pick a moment. And Iniesta, when he's unsure, always starts with the word hombre. Which is man, but not man in the phrase of hippie 1960s California. It's more like, hombre, buys a little bit of time. And he goes, hombre, hay tantos. There's so many moments. But he doesn't use that as a block to say nothing. He gives himself about 15 or 20 seconds thinking time and he says... Not the Bernabeu and a win over Real Madrid, not any of the Champions League finals, not, I don't know, the Chelsea goal, not league titles. He said, my debut away to Bruges, that was the moment he picked. 16 years later, unbelievable. I don't understand it, but I can report it to you. I don't think it made a lot of press at the time and therefore you might not know. So let's just do a little running total He's brilliant. Everybody in the academy knows he's brilliant. Pep Guardiola thinks there's a guy who'll be better than him and better than Xavi. That's in 1999. By the time Frank Rijkaard takes over, Frank Rijkaard, you don't remember him. Ajax player, Cruyff trained, brilliant in Serie A, part of a generation of Dutch footballers who could impose themselves and who could play. He had the skills of Iniesta similar skills, generically, but he was a brute. He was a fighter. He was big. He's a unit, Frank Rijkaard. How strange is it, all the same, that he didn't know what to do with Iniesta? When he took over, he knew he was under pressure. One of the vice presidents, Sandro Rossi, whatever happened to him? Didn't want him. Wanted big Phil Scolari. So the idea, by Rossell, by others, including Bartomeu, was... Times are changing. Chelsea are the model. Big players, tall players, players who can run. Ricard already in doubt for his future, six months in because it had been six atrocious months. Well, he didn't want to take a risk on a little man with talent. So at a time when Iniesta was biding his time, still quite young, still not fully established, maybe it was acceptable that he needed to be a substitute in a time of change when Ronaldinho had arrived, when Deco had arrived, when Ed Milson had arrived when established winners were hauling Barcelona back from the precipice, including six months of Edgar Davids that utterly revolutionised the way Chavi saw the game. So there was context at first for Reichard's conservatism, hesitation, but those adjectives become cowardice, stupidity. At which point, the phone rings. And that phone call is coming from Glasgow. It should really have sounded like Alec McLeish, but it wasn't. It was from his assistant at Rangers, Jan Vouters. The conversation effectively was, well, I'll let Alec tell it himself. I knew that you caused havoc at Barcelona by, as Rangers manager, trying to sign, first of all, Leo Messi, and then that sort of <laughs> transmogrified into Andres I Iniesta. wish, I wish. Um, I, he might have got a game every now and again I suppose <laughs> tell, tell me about what happens because John your son is involved in giving you priceless information yeah, recruitment John, information John and, Jamie, John and Jamie
2: were into that championship manager and young fellas in here all know what it is and he, he was constantly giving me names in South America and then um, you know they come up this guy Leo Messi is gonna to, gonna to be the best player in the world, I don't he was thirteen or fourteen maybe at the time. And you kind of dismiss it, you know, but then I needed somebody with, with some quality in midfield. Barry Ferguson I think had gone um down to Blackburn. So we we'd lost a guy who would have taken the ball in any stadium anywhere in the world. We needed the players of that elk again. And Messi we were told flatly, no chance. Jan Wouters said I'll phone uh, Tencat. Hank
4: Tencat, yeah. Hank
2: Tencat was the assistant of Frank Reichard. Wouters phoned him and said uh, you, you know, with Messi, no, no, no chance. Absolutely no chance. And anybody, and he said, Look, we've got a young kid, um, Annie and he's, he's he's a phenomenal player. He he was only would he be 19? Just yeah. And uh we said, Well, can you come to Scotland? And they said, Yeah, we'll we'll try and I'll try and make some hay at uh, Barcelona and get him over to you. He needs to he needs to get some action. And uh Monday I think by the Monday Iniesta was called into the team and he played a stormer and um or ten came back on a Monday, uh, Jan Wouter said um, what about the wee man? Where were we getting him? And he, he said, he's in the first-team squad now.
4: And that was against Juventus in the pre-season game. And prior to that, what had happened, galvanised by your inquiry, was that the Catalans I didn't realise I caused a shitstorm in Absolutely. Barcelona. There's no, there's no question <laughs> whatsoever about it. So, look, Big Alex explained that pretty well, I think. But let me take you to what I know, because it wasn't McLeish who interviewed, for example... Tiki Bagheerstein, who was football director at the time, it wasn't Alex who interviewed Ferran Soriano, who's the mastermind behind Manchester City at the moment, nor Mark Ingla. Uh, Soriano was the vice-president, Mark Ingla was vice-president, Tiki Bagheerstein was football director. So I think I can say quite comprehensively, this is what happened. They were clawing at the table, they were ready to punch each other. There was half the table being um, Hengtenkata and Ryker going we don't think he's quite ready and football's going in a different direction and give us more time. There were directors like Bartomeo and Rosé going, the future's different. The Siniesta kid is not what we need. Rangers wanted him. It was a chance to put him out on loan and the Catalans were ferocious. The Catalans who believed in Johan Cruyff particularly, Laporta, Begerstein being a Basque, had played under Cruyff and they knew they knew that Iniesta needed to be played and was right. And the game which saved him happened to be against Juventus in the pre-season, in the Gamper tournament. He and Messi were absolutely brilliant. It was a draw. Um, Iniesta scored a wonderful goal against a Juventus. with It felt like Gulliver and the Lilliputians. There's no question. that That's a story about a big fella and some little fellas. You're talking about a Juventus side which was ferocious, coached by Capello it was one whereby they would gobble you up and they tried hard to knock Iniesta and Messi around. It was the night when Capello asked immediately Rijkaard, can I have Messi on loan now because he's a foreigner and you can't use him? And Rijkaard said, "Uh, no boss, no chance. But Iniesta won his his place that day. The crowd chanted his name and chanted Messi's name. What would happen after that was that gradually even Frank Rijkaard's doubts needed to be dispelled. So the moment that changes everything is that Messi isn't fit, says Rijkaard, for the squad to play Arsenal in the 2006 Paris final. Messi takes that personally. Is furious. Xavi's been injured and it just makes the bench, but doesn't play. It's remarkable now. That second European Cup of all time for football club Barcelona is going to be won with Iniesta and Xavi starting on the bench and Messi not even in the squad. It just seems angular. Odd now. Iniesta really takes it to heart. He comes on at half-time, and if you go back, even if you're an Arsenal fan, and watch the second half, we talk about Eto and Balletti, we talk about Larson's impact. All three make big differences to the scoreline and the result. But Iniesta changes the game. Watch his passes. Watch the penetration. Watch the number of Arsenal players he bisects or takes out at a time When they're ten men, they've run their legs off. Their organisation is brilliant and Barcelona need genius. His name's Iniesta. But it's really important to understand for what happens in the future the fact that not starting that final was more important to Iniesta than lifting the cup at the end, more important than changing the game, more important than having the first of four Champions League medals to store and his covered at home.
1: I just can say thank you because he helped me. The people believe the manager have the players, in, but in few cases, and I think Andres is one of them, uh, he helped me to, to understand the game better, just watching him what uh, he does in, a, in the football pitch.
4: If it's important to understand that Iniesta hasn't had total control of his own life and career, the moment when the Cruyff philosophy helped him for a second big time in his life came when Pep Guardiola was appointed. Not because they've ended up friends, not because Guardiola was an admirer from 1999, but nearly a decade later, he's the right guy to G things up. When Ricard leaves, things are in a mess. Iniesta, like Puyol and Xavi, feels the pain more. Homebred, embarrassed, humiliated by Madrid in the last classico of Rijkaard's reign. Guardiola comes in and there's a moment in St Andrews where Iniesta, Puyol and Xavi, having won Euro 2008, arrive late with permission. Their holidays have been longer and they watch They see the sessions and they see night and day compared to the sessions on the card. only, what, four, five months earlier. Xavi turns to Puyol and Iniesta and says, lads, we've got to get on this train or it will leave us behind. To a worker, to a Trojan like (laughs) Puyol, that was just perfect. To somebody like Iniesta, who's got an OCD need for organisation and precision and standards, it was nectar from heaven. People around him were working harder, the very people who he had had to stay quiet when he thought they weren't as fit as him, when they were overweight, when they were out drinking and he didn't cause a fuss and say, I should be in the team, not them, they'd gone. What happened initially is infamous but I think there's a moment that, that sums up a part of Iniesta which gets mentioned but without examples. So, think of it like this. Guardiola is in and he's young. Most people outside the club are saying he's too young, he's got not enough experience. I have to say I wrote a column saying I'm not quite sure when his appointment was announced before his press conference was held. I'm not quite sure how a guy of that age dominates hard-nosed people like Ronaldinho and Deco and Eto, and calls them into line. What I didn't know was that he was going to tell two of them, you're out, fellas, there's the door, goodbye. That solved things all right. But when he came in, Barca under Pep, starring Iniesta, lost at Numancia. If you haven't heard of Numancia, he was part of Tubeway Army and our friends Electric. He said, look it up, you'll find it, Gary Numancia. They're a tiny team from a club about the size of Tower Hamlets. And... They beat Barcelona in the first game of Pep Guardiola's season. The second result was a midweek game immediately afterwards against Racing Santander, a 1-1 draw at the camp now. Barcelona were apparently struggling. The critics were absolutely lining up. Most in the media didn't have the patience to say, well, maybe it's going to come right. Is that their fault? Should there be blame handed around? I don't know. I can only tell you that Johan Cruyff wrote a column the next morning in La Vanguardia saying this is the best football I've seen for years. Everything is in order. Iniesta didn't feel that way. Iniesta was upset, was nervous, felt responsible for Guardiola being pilloried. And he did something that was completely out of character in terms of his understanding of hierarchy, but bang on his character in terms of him caring, having a gigantic heart. And he took it upon himself, not a captain, not even one of the squad leaders off the pitch, to go within the camp now to Guardiola's subterranean door in the depths of the stadium, to knock on that door and having been asked to come in, say, boss, I'm sorry it's gone like this. Have faith. That we, the squad, we're all behind you. We know it's going to go right. We know what your training's been like. Keep at it. We're with you. Close the door and left. That should have been for a hard-nosed, successful man like Guardiola. That should have been like, ah we, oui, Andres, he's a good sort. Instead, it mattered one hell of a lot to Guardiola. He took sucker from it. He understood that he'd connected with his players. It was a moment of much, much greater importance than it should have been. And somebody who's been alongside with me studying Iniesta, the man for some years, Rick Sharma, has his own opinion on why that moment happened.
6: Well, Iniesta always does seem a little bit nervous, as he as he said today in his goodbye press conference about how how upset he was and how what a terrible day it was when his parents left him at La messiah There's there's obviously. Iniesta is someone who's, who deep down does seem human and afraid about things. It's a much more intriguing blend than maybe a Cristiano Ronaldo figure who is basically just rock solid in almost every situation and is somewhat difficult to like. And even Messi, Messi who is for me is the best player of all time and even he is not that easy to like in, in terms of personality. Whereas Iniesta, I don't know anybody, including Chelsea fans, I don't know anybody who doesn't like Iniesta.
4: With the touch of the magic Iniesta won, that reassurance, things began to go quite well. Suffice to say that you've watched the games, you've read the books, you've read the interviews. Barca win the treble. But it's striking to me and it's a big interview in the film um, called Take the Ball, Pass the Ball that um, Duncan McMath and I have made to try and represent the qualities of the Barca book that Neil and Martin at Backpage encouraged me to write that Joan Laporta points out that they are all aware that there were moments of all or nothing, moments of crisis, sometimes moments of good fortune when the treble could have dissolved. One of them, by no means alone, Mallorca in the cup, away, um, red card and penalty for Cáceres. Um, there are moments in the league um, when it looks as if Madrid might haul them down again. The last Clásico starts off with a powerful Higuain header. Madrid are 1-0 up, the crowd is baying. Go and check the record books as to how that game finished. The Champions League moment was at Stamford Bridge. Um, it's 0-0 first leg, but are clearly denied a penalty. In the second leg at Stamford Bridge, there is refereeing controversy Abidal is wrongly sent off, but penalties, which Chelsea should have had, are denied. There is clamour. Michael Essian puts Chelsea 1-0 up. It means that at that stage, it's 1-0 Chelsea. They're going to go through to what would be their second consecutive Champions League final against Manchester United. Again, it will transpire. Carlos Puyol is suspended. He's in the stand. Time is running out. Um... I've been listening to Peter Taylor, the ex-Spurs guy, explaining that in his playoff match the previous weekend, he'd been so nervous about not getting through that he decided, what's going to happen is going to happen. I'm going to go to the loo. I can't stand this tension anymore. And I thought, if it's good for Peter Taylor, it's good for me. So I went out of the press box, down towards the loo, came out to find the press room, the desks and chairs flying because something pretty special had happened.
2: The nuevo. apertura de Xavi.
4: Daniel que puede ganar la esquina. Le persigue Manu al centro, sí,
2: sí, sí. No. El balón le cae
4: and complete drama follows in the house of Rick Sharma.
6: Yeah, I'm a a Chelsea fan and Andres Iniesta was responsible for one of the worst days of my life.
4: Where were you? What happened?
6: I was actually at home watching with my mum and obviously he goes and scores right at the end of the game to knock Chelsea out and then Didier Drogba gets really angry because of course in that game Chelsea had all those penalties that that were not given them... What, was it
4: 17 of them, 18 of them?
6: I think it was triple figures, Graham. That that, that many benefits. All of them? Maybe a couple were debatable, but the rest of them... That's all I wanted to hear. (laughs) Absolute stonewallers. But then, you know, Drober comes on and... Am I allowed to swear on that? You fucking bet your bottom dollar (laughs) you are. And he says, it's a fucking disgrace. And my mum says... He shouldn't be saying that because she, despite being also a Chelsea fan and upset about what happened, she's also quite polite. And I just turned to her and was the first one I've ever sworn in front of her. And I said, Mum, it is a fucking disgrace.
4: (laughs) When I said that the 2006 Champions League final was a terrible thorn in his side, he didn't get to remove it until Rome came along. Rome would be the completion of a treble. The Cup had been won, the league had been won. Getting over the line in the league had included a dramatic, really good, fun 3-3 draw against Manuel Pellegrini's Villarreal at the Camp Now, during which Iniesta did himself a thigh injury that really should have kept him out until, oh, I don't know, July? But it was a final to play. It was against Manchester United, which was a small incentive because I know Iniesta didn't think that they should have been eliminated the previous year at Old Trafford, which they were, 1-0 by that great Scholes goal. But above anything, what he wanted to do was ensure that he started and won a final. It was imperative for him. He was driven by the idea of starting, seeing his name on a team list in that Olympic Stadium dressing room after it would happen, a rather odd video by Pep Guardiola. And that he had to play and win. The doctors told him, if you shoot, if you kick the ball off the front of your foot at any kind of power like the one you used at Stamford Bridge, your thigh muscle will rupture again and you won't be able to walk down Mind run. Against that backdrop, Guardiola trusted him. Iniesta plays, Michael Carrick heads the ball down in midfield and Iniesta picks it up. For the previous ten minutes, Ferguson's United, despite the team, I think, missing Darren Fletcher very, very badly. And despite the team knowing that Alex Ferguson could have picked the eleven differently, United are on top. Ronaldo's nearly scored. PK's cleared off the line. Alex Ferguson after the match will say that first goal killed us. I first met Alex Ferguson when he took over at Aberdeen and I was about 15 or 16. I've had intermittent dealings with them individually and as a reporter since, and I have never, before or since, heard him say about one of his teams that they were killed after 11 minutes. Iniesta picking the ball up from Michael Carrick's header in midfield, running, drifting past players, despite being 60% fit, and feeding Samueletta for the first goal. That won the night in Rome. But the cost was high. He told his dad, he subsequently repeated it to me in an interview, I'll play at any cost, no matter the cost. He didn't know what he was saying. During that next year, 9-10, Iniesta would play, break down, play, break down, be out for a long time, be out for a short time. Muscles would give way, left, right and centre really. Principally it would be around the thigh area, but because of his physiology, there would be, nips and tucks and tears in his hamstring, at the back of his thigh, at the back of his calf. It was a calvary. It needs to be noted that that came against the background of, pretty much, certainly if not his best friend in life, his best friend in football, dropping dead um, on a training camp in Catalonia. Danny Harkey had been a guy with whom Iniesta had trained. They were of the same age. Harkey was Catalan, Iniesta wasn't, but they'd grown up together, knowing each other. Harkey would often drive Iniesta into training. They were tight. They confided in each other. They were leader at Barca, leader at Espanol, a cross city, cross rivalry friendship, which already tells you how special it must have been. And Danny Harkey dropped dead. Um, I think it was the August of 2009. The impact on Andres Iniesta was gigantic. He felt lost. Uh, Life didn't make sense to him. The world and its tragedies suddenly uh, grated on him uh, more than they'd ever done before. We've all had that moment where you smell the coffee, you feel more fragile yourself. Here's where a character that needs to be mentioned, who you probably can't picture, called Emily Ricard, a Catalan, Barca-supporting physio, who had been a fitness coach at Barcelona when Pep Guardiola was promoted from the Juveniles by Charlie Rexach and Johan Cruyff to the first team training for the first time. Emily Ricard was an out-and-out Barca supporter. Loved the Brazil brand of football because his dad had brought him up for a short time in Brazil. And When I say that, I'm talking about the early 70s Brazil brand of football that bears a resemblance to something that Cruyff encouraged at Barca. He and Iniesta became friends, but also Ricard began to treat him in a way that he'd actually patented while treating Pep Guardiola in the, I don't know, year and a half that he was absent by an undiagnosable muscle injury under Louis van Gaal in the late 90s at the Camp Now, And Ricard began gradually not only to heal Andres Iniesta physically... But to teach him that whatever problem surged up, as it did again and again and again, they could find a solution. He began to make Iniesta understand that even though it felt there was no end to this injury hell, there would be. So, when with the end of an interesting season um, came in sight, with Barcelona competitive in the league and the Champions League, Iniesta broke down again, doing a simple uh, training pass, receive the pass, shoot, drill at what was now the new training ground en route to the airport at San Juan de Sp. He completes the drill, but runs on past the goal, doesn't return back to his slot, leans against the link mesh fence, and I wasn't there. This is from camera evidence. He leans there in that pose that you do when you're stretching your hamstrings. But he's, he's leaning there because his muscle has gone again and he just starts crying and his little shoulders are racked with sobs. You've seen it in a kid when, quietly, silently, whatever emotion has taken over completely and they're in bits. That's the expression and that's what Iniesta is. He sees his ability to have an impact on the Champions League semi-final against Inter Milan disappearing. He sees his likelihood of being able to help Barcelona over the line in the league. And he sees the World Cup Potentially disappearing. Bit by bit, Ricard puts him back together again. He's a club employee at the time, but it's worth mentioning that when eventually the Laporta era ends, when Rosset comes in, the new board make Ricard unemployed. They get rid of him because he's from the old school. He and Iniesta still work together individually, and the fact that Iniesta is able to say, at 34. I've been valuable up to now. I've been fit up to now. The fact that he's able to physically bow out, having won the title and captained his team with a goal to a 5-0 victory over Sevilla, the fact that all of this has happened is partially owed to the individual care that Emily Ricard, now a business partner of Iniesta, has provided for the Barca captain. He's a really important man in this story. At any rate, the bad year carries on. Emily Ricard sends Iniesta off to the World Cup knowing that the only thing that's not fully healed is his mind, that this guy who we all describe as the best and the guy who makes Spanish football magic for me, the guy who has made you listen to this podcast because we both know it's not for me, he was full of doubt. He thought he'd lost something. And... The DVD that he was watching as the plane took off from Madrid to head for Johannesburg was made by Emily Ricard. It showed images of Fernando Alonso, the Spanish F1 driver, um, Roger Federer, um, Nadal, each of them in moments of breakdown, loss, defeat, humiliation, back-to-back with moments of triumph, a point brilliantly scored, a race won, a trophy lifted. The message... Short, colourful, starring heroes of Iniesta. Triumph rises from the ashes of despair, failure. And whether Ricard is a seer and could imagine Soccer City a few weeks later, whether it was simply, get the guy right, that's my job, and everything else will take care of himself, I can't tell you. But even though Iniesta is injured in the training camp, Plays in the Swiss defeat. Iniesta is injured. Out for the Honduras game. And if you asked somebody to make a podcast right then, you'd say, well, his club career was glorious, but the biggest tragedy of his life was falling over. Devon Loch style. Right on the verge of having a team capable of winning the World Cup. But he got injured. They didn't make it to the final. And that was that. Instead, Iniesta was back for the third game against Chile. Scored. He and Xavi, don't be fooled by the David Villa 1-0, David Villa 1-0, David Villa 1-0, Carlos Puyol 1-0. He and Xavi marched Spain past Portugal, Paraguay, Germany, and into the Orange Bowl. Soccer City against a Dutch team, which in theory should have had its roots in the Cruyff school, but instead went out to boot the shit out of Spain to try and win the World Cup thuggishly, any old how. Before the moment that you know we're building to comes, Heidegger's been booked. Xavi and Esther lure him into a challenge that he cannot win, where he's bound to make a foul. They play cat and mouse with him, and he goes straight into the trap. He's sent off, and suddenly, in extra time, with nerves shredded, with players, Pique included, subsequently admitting they were dreading penalties. Xavi and create that gap. Heitinger is correctly sent off. And what will happen is that the auxiliary centre-back filling in for Heitinger will fall over as Fernando Torres's left-wing cross falls short of who it's aimed at. And Cesc, who's been, as daboski told me, face-to-face, pissed off with me throughout the whole World Cup. The same Cesc who told me in an interview, the only thing I can do is be ready, and it was his moment. You know, Ses Fabregas won the World Cup, arguably, because he pounces on the loose ball. What happens next is magical.
2: No puede conducir más y el balón le cae a Iniesta All Iniesta man. de tacón, perfecto para Fábregas mm. Ahí la entrega de Fábregas sí Juana, buena. Sí Viene Miren para el, Iniesta. Torres no. Está de ante el centro Iniesta, para él va ese balón Él Le cae a ser Fábregas Vamos, Fábregas tés. para Iniesta, Iniesta Chuta Iniesta, ¡Oh!
4: So you've heard the people who could describe that goal better than I can. Both of them are Spanish. Camacho was the World Cup coach for Spain who previously probably took La Roja closest because in 2002 it took some pretty dick dastardly linesmaning to rob Spain of a victory over Korea in a tournament that they could have won. So when you heard Camacho losing his shit there brilliantly and Ricky Rossetti saying, that's my country, that's my boy, it's all about happiness. (laughs) But there's a mix of happiness and sadness back in Catalonia because when the World Cup final's on, the television's on. And when the World Cup final is on, there's a whole range of people who are watching it Including somebody who's about to get one of the most uplifting and also heart-wrenching moments of her entire life, Pete Jensen.
0: Uh, a year has passed since Danny Jarke died, and um, for obvious reasons, she's not been able to bring herself to switch the television on and watch a football match. Hmm. And yes, there's also devastated. He talks in the in the book about about the lights going out, about feeling vulnerable, about feeling empty. And almost, you know, almost using the word, you know, de- depressed, being depressed about things because of what had happened. This, this, this great young footballer dying he in, his, dying in his prime, 26 years old, and as you say, he, he, was, he was very close. Mm. They were great pals. So um, Marta, uh, Danny's widow, um, decides that she'll watch the game. It's the first game that she's going to watch since his passing. And... Um, she describes in the book the moment before Iniesta scores and, and, and she talks about knowing that he's about to score. Uh, so the ball's played over the top and she puts her hand over her eyes because she doesn't want to see it, she can't see the goal because if she sees the goal it will, it will just bring, bring home to her the fact that she's watching a game, she's not watching it with Danny. Um, it's the World Cup final, it's Danny's greatest friend. And she's watching it with her mum and also with her young daughter because, of course, you have to remember that she, that she, was, she was pregnant at the time of Danny's death, So, um, who's 10, 10 months old at the time. So she's got her hand over her eyes. The whole of Spain gets off its sofa at the same moment because it, the ball hits the back of the net. Spain are going to win the World Cup. Iniesta scored the most important goal in Spanish football history. She's, covered, she's, she's got her hands over her eyes still. And her mum shouts. First of all, she shouts because Spain have scored. They're going to win the World Cup. And then, of course, she sees the shirt, she sees the vest. Uh, and Yester's taken his, taken his shirt off, and underneath he's, he's got emblazoned across the, across the front of this white vest, um, you know, Danny forever. Um, and, and then, of course, she, she brings down her hands and she sees the image. And, and she says in the book that, that, that that's Andres. In, in that moment, he could, have, he could have dedicated that moment, the pinnacle of his career, the most important moment in his sporting life, could have dedicated it to anyone that he remembered his his great friend and it's just incredible. It's incredible that he scores that goal. Um, As we've we've said, he doesn't score many goals, he scores the winning goal in a World Cup final. But then he remembers his great friend and I think that sums him up and that's why people love him as a footballer and they love him as a person as well.
4: When we go on the big interview, we go and meet geniuses, world stars of different nationalities and each of them expresses Utter and complete devotion and amazement, the majority of this year, but to the Holy Trinity of Iniesta, Xavi and Messi. And before I let you hear about people who've been frustrated by trying to understand them and how to unpick them, how to defend against them, think about this. When I say to Xavi, I think he's the greatest Spanish footballer of all time, he argues with me and says, it's Iniesta. When Messi saw Iniesta going off in the cup final, he sort of ran to Iniesta, gave him a big embrace and, and shut his eyes for Messi to pay homage to this guy I'm going to lose, this guy I'm not going to be playing with anymore. I thought was a visual litmus test of Iniesta's absolute greatness. So was some of the performances we've seen from him against teams that we recognise, teams that we know and voices that we recognise and know, explaining what a pain in the fucking arse it's been to try and stop Andres Iniesta.
3: I think there's a humility about
4: him. Funny enough, most
3: people I talk to always talk about Messi that I drag them to Iniesta I first really come across them when Celtic played um, Barcelona many, many years ago. I think Barcelona had been known as a top, top side. But it was the first time I think they'd been kind of live on British football, on British soil against uh, Celtic. And uh, I'm sure the midfield was Jaya Turi, Xavi and Iniesta. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had Paul Hartley, Barry Robson and he and other in there. I remember um, during the game, Barry Robson saying to me, what do you do? <laughs> I, can't get I just kept going, we'll just run about. <laughs> Try and into one or two of them, annoy them.
1: For me, the big thing was getting close to Iniesta. Iniesta never gave the ball away, kept turning out of trouble. Anytime we got him in trouble, changed direction with the ball, kept getting the ball back. We could not get close to Iniesta. And, you know, for all the things they talk about, Messi and, and Suarez and all the people, and on the night, no, they didn't all start the game. It was Iniesta who was the one who I thought, my goodness, this guy's something else. It was like training. Nobody could get close enough to tackle him. If you press them, someone else will take his space. He keep the ball off you in a telephone box, or sort something of yeah. You know, he was he was so good. His close control, his technical ability, how to shield the ball away from you when you when you come into him. You know, he'd get his body between you and the ball. You know, he would unbalance you at times, you know, so that he could go past you. When you come in fast, he'd play past you, one touch round the corner. Every time he got the ball, I mean, I don't know what his past success rate in the night was, but to me, I was thinking he's never given the ball away, and he's. There's lots of players who don't give the ball away and keep it. But what do they do with it? But he was always looking to play forward.
3: When you watch Barcelona, sometimes in a strange way, it can get a bit tedious because it all seems that right. The same things happening all the time. There's nothing happening here. And then something happens every game that you've never seen. Yeah. Something will happen, like they're taking the ball. He's in eighteen-yard box the other day. There, turning somebody with his back to the opposite goal, beating three people. And the crowd building up, building up. Now the hard part comes after his beat three, because it's quite an instinctive thing that he's got a pass to make. I would say nine times out of ten, people get in misplaced that pass because i have got excited. There's the final one, and that's the pass that counts to be a great player. And that's what he's come away with. A pass that Neymar
4: just doesn't even need to break his step. <laughs> All right, lads. Okay, lads. You're off the hook. You did your best. Your teams were beaten you successful managers, high profile football people in the media. You've spoken well about him, but your troubles were only episodic compared to the troubles that Pete Jensen, again, he's that good, and I have had in trying to find adjectives, to try and find explanations sufficiently good to rank alongside the play that he and I have witnessed for the last 16 years. There we are. I'm back to the beginning of this podcast. Have you been at the camp now? It's like the old Hamden press box when I started writing at Hamden, which was like Eddie the Eagle standing up on the top of that chute in Norway that you go down to do the ski jump. camp now is a little bit like that, and it gives you this, I suppose it gives you the perspective God must have when he watches his creation, Anders and Esther, making pretty patterns down below him. And I think Pete Jensen describes that quite well.
0: Barthes were at their best the midfield it was like a metronome wasn't it and xavi and Yester were like the tick tock tick tock and it's that it's that continuity you know and that's what wears the opposition down that's where you get the great Fergie quote from about they you know they put you on the carousel and turn you dizzy and you know that's the middle part you know the end part is the goal and as we as we already said and Yester's not usually the goal but before the goal comes, that wearing down of the opposition, the tiring of the opposition, until the space appears. And, and, and he's the one that makes that happen. And we're going to see that now in the, in the seasons to come, because how are they going to replace him?
4: Um, this has been a back-page production sponsored by the genius of Andres Iniesta, brought to you by Iniesta Incorporated. And it's a privilege to be able to talk to you like this because people like you feel like we do, that it's worth taking the time to explain these things, to recall these things, to not let the golden details of a diamond life slip away from us simply because Andrew Iniesta is now 34. And we're making this recording, Neil and I, in Manchester, just having um, interviewed Ander Herrera, a great little player, whose international career has been stifled by the fact that there's Busquets and there's Iniesta and there's Xavi and then Asensio and Isco and a line of them. But there's going to be players um, throughout the rest of your lives and our lives who want to imitate Iniesta. They might be playing in your school team, in the park, for the pub team. They may play for Scotland, England even, heaven forfend. But people imitate Iniesta... For many, many years. I don't expect to see the brand of football that Pete Jensen was talking about for another 20 years until this um, class of 89, PK and Busquets and, and Messi and probably Puyol and Iniesta and Xavi are back at the Camp Nou in some form or another reinstating former values. Not former glories, former values. As we record this and therefore disregard it if it becomes not true, it seems that Iniesta is leaving not for China... But for Vissel Kobe. Because Rakuten, owned by Mikitani Gerard, PK's friend, and sponsoring Barcelona because of PK, he's starting to get links here, have said, why don't you come to us instead of going to China? And as we understand it today, as we record, that's where he's going to go. That's where Michael Laudrup, Iniesta's hero, went when he left Madrid on a freedom of contract at a similar age, thinking, My time as a great at a big club has come to an end. What happened then was, in leaving Madrid, Michael Ardrup was out for dinner with his wife when, in the restaurant they were at, because they ate well, no calves. The king of Spain, the old king of Spain, not the current one, came in. They acknowledged each other with a regal nod. The king ate his first course, and then as Michael and his wife were finishing their suite, the king beckoned to the Dane. Michael got up, went to the table, and the king said, Michael, is what I hear true that you're leaving us? Yes, your majesty, I'm afraid it is true. I'm I'm leaving Madrid and I'm going to Japan. Good, said the king, happy. Good, I'm pleased. What? Well, now we can go back to having only one king in Madrid. Had that happened to Andres Iniesta instead of his hero, Michael Ladrup, it would have been equally appropriate. And Iniesta, Your Majesty, we salute you. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please.